On today's episode, a deep dive into load versus capacity with Chris Bremer. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. under the weather today uh, for the first time in probably about two or three years. So luckily I had my interview with Chris Brammer a couple of weeks ago when I was feeling fine. And all I need to do is just get through this intro with a bit of a nasally congested voice. Uh, so hopefully you don't have to hear too much of this. So I'll be brief. Um, Chris Brammer is primarily a researcher focusing on running related injuries. If the name rings a bell, I had him on episode 61 the title was uh, Running Technique Insight for Injury Prevention and Performance. If you want to listen to that to get to know more about him and his research and what he's doing, I had a fascinating discussion with Chris Brammer talking about load versus capacity. It is a universal principle that I talk about on this podcast all the time, but uh, when writing and preparing for the Run Smarter book, I was reviewing his chapter in the book that I love all so much, it's titled The Science and Practice of Middle and Long Distance Running by Richard Bladegrove and Philip Hayes. And um, yeah, like I said, Chris Brammer writes a chapter in this. The chapter was called Common Overuse Injuries in Runners and has a great take on load versus capacity, which has a slight uh, slant on just the universal principles that I usually teach and was a fascinating discussion. We just ran with this topic and delved into a lot of places I didn't think we would. Um, and that's just what you get when you have two passionate people uh, on a fascinating topic. We just run with it and hopefully deliver some great content because I know I loved it. Hopefully you will too. Okay, enough with me. Uh, I'll leave Chris Brammer's uh, social media links and websites in the, the links in the show notes and let's get it underway. Chris Brammer, welcome back to the Run Smarter podcast. Thank you very much for having me back on, Brody. It is, it is a pleasure. It feels like it's been ages since we, we last spoke. I know, right? You are on episode 61 and we're up to episode 230-odd now. And so it's oh, been, wow. it has been a long time. What Has there been many developments in your career? Or have you been working on anything in particular since you were on last? Oh, well, me being me, I like to keep myself incredibly busy. So we, we have had lots going on. Um, I think clinically, it's been pretty busy because we've been changing around our, our gate lab, which I think, as you know, we, I like to do biomechanics assessments on, on people. Um, so we've been doing some renovation works there. We finally got some uh, force plates in the grass so we can look at people run over grass now, look at football players uh, cutting um, and changing direction, which I think is quite an interesting one. Um, and then from a sort of research perspective for me, um, we've we've got a lot of different projects um one of the ones at the moment we're doing is i think since we last spoke we published an article looking at um the effect of speed on tissue stress particularly looking at what happens to the achilles tendon and the knee as we, we run faster um, and now we're trying to sort of build on that a little bit more and see what happens as we get tired and as we fatigue um, and we've got some various other projects that we're sort of working on but i'd, I'd prefer to try and keep a bit more of a, a surprise if i can <laughs> well, definitely keep them busy. And I, I constantly see your papers when I'm, you know, talking to runners, trying to delve into research, trying to write my own book and constantly coming across your um, chapters that you write and publications that you make. And you, keep, you do keep yourself extremely busy, but 
um, it just goes to show that your, your knowledge itself is world-class and particular. I wanted to refer to this topic, this episode as a particular, um, chapter that you wrote about load versus capacity and most of the injury episodes that I have, most of the injury prevention topics that I have always comes back to this one kind of, um, concept about load versus capacity. And I wanted to address it in a, in an entire episode and a little bit more, maybe complexity or nuances to it as well. Um, so I thought we might just get started in your mind when it comes to this, like load versus capacity model, how do you like to describe it when it comes to runners specifically and preventing their risk of injury? Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting one. So I think load versus capacity is is one of these concepts that are talked about a lot amongst professionals and amongst the scientific literature. And effectively, in its simplest form, what we are basically saying is injury is the result of this, this seesaw balance between the load we apply to our body or what we call as tissue stress or the things we do to our body. And uh, on the other end of the, the seesaw being our capacity, which we refer to as our ability to tolerate this stress. And, it, and, and in theory, what we're saying is if the, the stress we apply to our body outweighs our ability to tolerate that stress, um, we get injured. And that's this, the simplest way of viewing it. But for me, it's when you read around these, these topics and look into them, I think it's a little bit more nuanced than, than that. And for me, uh, I think the chapter that you're referring to is a, a piece in a, a book by Rich Blygrove and, and Phil Hayes. And in there, I, I drew this figure, um, which was trying to represent how I view this load capacity relationship. And for me, what I think happens is as runners, we go into any sort of run or training bout and we have a particular capacity to begin with as we start that session. Um, and as we run what happens is we apply stress to our bodies and our tissues begin to gradually fatigue. And once we hit a point of fatigue, we can get little bits of micro damage that, that build up within tissues. If that micro damage is pushed further, that can lead to macroscopic damage. And then ultimately we gradually reduce our capacity in a training bout, which can perhaps then push us to this progressive um, development of injuries. So rather than it being like one particular thing of tipping a seesaw, I think it's more of this accumulation of how stress gradually fatigues our tissues, resulting in injury development. And what I tried to represent with this figure is this idea that if we then back off running and we allow ourselves some time to recover, we can restore that load capacity so we can become stronger and take our and reverse these, these damage or these changes. So hopefully we get stronger and go into our next bouts. But I think one of the important things for us as runners and what I try to say to people to, to that I think is a really important thing to remember is, is when we say load applied to our body is we, we very, very easily just think that's just running. So it's the stress that we get from impacting the pavements. And often we neglect the fact that there are other aspects in our lives that can also contribute to load, such as psychological stresses, um, and, and what we're doing in our day-to-day -day lives that also adds up to the stress that's placed on our body. And these are other things that can affect our ability to tolerate training. So for me, load is not just physical, but it's also that psychological and that environmental concepts that are applied to us that happen all the time. And it's how we balance that load to sort of allow ourselves time to recover and hopefully restore our capacity that allows us to tolerate more and more training. I think it's it's that continual change that we have from being ready to go, fatigued, and then hopefully recovering and ready to go again. Yeah. And I think uh, in its most simplistic term is kind of what I was describing earlier in the podcast. Like one of my very first episodes or the first episode is adaptation education, which I sort of mention the load versus capacity and, you know, your every muscle tendon joint has a certain capacity that it can tolerate and if you exceed it then it increases your likelihood of injury um which sort of if i have that simplistic term it kind of like you say it's kind of like that seesaw there's either too much or you know just under you're safe or you're unsafe and it's um you either do too much it causes injury 
or not enough and or there's kind of like that sweet spot in between that sort of adaptation zone that I encourage the the runners to sort of train within but what you're saying is there's a little bit there's a there's a bit of a gray area in between that training sweet spot and the overload or that too much where the tissues start to become fatigued and that can be okay. Um, but as you progress into that gray zone and sort of push your bodies and push your capabilities, it slowly gets into beyond acute fatigue and gets into sort of microscopic damage and then sort of progresses from there into like macroscopic damage and then eventually failure and injury. Um, so if there is that gray zone in there between the sort of sweet spot, like a safe sweet spot, we could call it, and overload injury, if there's that gray zone, those sort of levels, should we be avoiding those gray levels? Or do you think that there's some um, some benefit to poking into those those danger levels? Yeah, I think there's like, I never want people to be afraid that I'm going to go out and cause a little bit of damage to, to tissues as, as I run or do activity. Because I actually think working into that realm of causing microscopic tissue damage is really important for us because it is actually where our, it, it gives our body a stimulus to adapt. So we know that stress and strain applied to our body forces us to, to become stronger and adapt. Um, and that, I think, is really then essential for us to experience and encounter if we are to, to build up tolerance to training and to running and be able to sort of tolerate more. And I think that the biggest example of this will be like, you know, you've done a track session or you've done an interval session and you haven't done one for a very long time. And often when we do that to ourselves, the next morning we end up walking down the stairs sideways because everything's sore, everything's stiff, I can't go forwards. Um, that for me is, is a, a demonstration of what happens when we have pushed ourselves into that realm of microscopic tissue damage. But it's a really powerful stimulus to get those tissues to adapt. And now if we recover appropriately, what we know is the next time we go to a track session, we do a little bit better on that, that track or interval session, and we wake up the next morning after that and we're not as sore. And that's that process of our body adapting to those stimulus or that stimuli um, to become stronger. I think the, the more important point for me and what I try to, to express to the runners that I work with is that is how we interpret that information our body gives us and tells us after we have pushed ourselves into to those sort of gray areas. Because I think that's really key for us to avoid injury is, is when we can wake up, we can feel those tightnesses, those sorenesses, and acknowledge that that's our body telling us we've done a little bit too much. I perhaps need a little bit uh, more time to recover. And if we listen to our body appropriately there and, and adapt our training accordingly, I actually think that's what stops us progressing further down this sort of damage. So the whole point of like trying to move away from simply a seesaw perspective for me came from working with a lot of runners who might have really sort of ramped up their training volume one week and then not started to encounter any injuries or niggles until three weeks later. And often we can't really understand why we then get injured three weeks later when we might have done less because we always seem to feel like this should be an inciting event. One particular moment when we knew that seesaw tipped and we got injured. But for me, it's like, it doesn't really work like that. It's when we stress our body too much, we, we progress into this area of damage. If we recover, great. We go back to the start, we become stronger and we can go again. But if we don't give ourselves that recovery time, the next time we go out to run, we might be entering that run with less tissue capacity that we had at the beginning so even then an easy state run which has always been easy for us might actually not be as easy for our tissues and could be progressing the level of um, fatigue that our tissues are encountering so for me it was really important to to sort of or what i like to try and express to people is that it's this balance between how we recover and hopefully return robust or if we just accumulate fatigue over and over and over and over again, so that three weeks later, an easy run could be what tips us over the edge. Um, so I don't think it's like it's something for people to be afraid of. I, I just think really for me, when I've gone 
throughout all of science and tried to be as really complicated in my injury prevention programs and what we should be doing, I ultimately come back to this very simplistic view that our body will inherently tell us what it can and can't tolerate based on these signs and symptoms as we push ourselves into bits of damage. And whether we get injured is whether or not we choose to listen and adjust or whether we just ignore it and keep trying to like push on regardless. Um, so yeah, it, it, probably a long-winded answer to the question of I don't want people to be worried about that. It's something that is normal. It's just how we respond to it. Yeah. It's good that you give that example. And I think people can then start reflecting in their own training, like how their body's feeling. Because as you said before, the, the first stage of that kind of gray zone is just acute fatigue, which is very common in a lot of runners. But then that next stage is that microscopic tissue damage, which could be attributed to DOMS or like, you know, that's still very productive. I'm not, not a lot of recreational runners would experience a lot of DOMS in their training. They just go out nice, easy. They just keep everything quite conservative, maybe push themselves to fatigue, um, but they wouldn't necessarily wake up with sore calves or quads unless they've had a pretty high quality workout or, you know, a lot of hills incorporate or really push themselves. But good to know that that is beneficial. And you mentioned the importance of recovery, like those recovery phases are sort of to repair your body out of those gray zones and back into sort of a healthier zone. Um, but if that recovery is inadequate, then potentially you've gone from that microscopic damage gray area and not necessarily fully repaired out of the gray zone and you're hitting fatigue, you're hitting that first stage of the gray zone a little bit earlier than what you might have expected in your training cycle and therefore you ramp back into those gray zones a lot quicker than anticipated. Uh, but learning to listen to the body would be a really nice way of, I guess, ensuring that you've fully recovered and you're not sort of dancing too much in that gray zone because flirting with it a little bit too long could overstrain or overstress the body. Um, I guess if we are listening to our body and you're, you're asking us to be more in tune, um, would there be any particular warning signs or subtleties that may mean that we're not necessarily recovered and we should be a little bit more careful with our training loads? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you, we can go into like the, the simplest way for us to, to really try and listen to ourselves in that respect. And, and for me, that is, like I said before, I think our body gives us these messages that tells us whether or not we're ready to run. So that might be something in terms of uh, muscles feel particularly tight um, or sore. And that can be, it can be bilateral, so both sides, but often sometimes you might find that just more so on one side. And that for me is I'm never a real believer that muscles are just tight. I, I think things start to get tight for a reason, not, and it, not necessarily that, oh, I need to stretch them and they'll feel better. For me, tightness is usually a bit of a, a fatigue-based warning sign. And that I'd start to listen to and think like, mm, okay, that's not usually tight. That doesn't usually feel that way. Perhaps that's my body telling me it needs a little bit more time to recover. So that can be one of like the simplest ways. Again, another one is almost listening to how you fit, feel from a psychological motivation perspective. So, you know, if people have had a big 12-hour working shift and they've been rushed off the feet all day, they're absolutely knackered and they know that they've got a run planned in for that evening, sometimes your body can be like, Do you know what, I really don't feel up to this run today, I'm knackered, I just want to go home and rest. And as runners, we think, oh, I'm going to just push through it, I'm going to get it done anyway. But I actually think that Mental fatigue is another warning sign of, of your body telling you that hmm, maybe I need to actually take some time for myself today and, and move my run back to tomorrow. So I think that's another one. And then you could go scientific for, for those people who like to monitor metrics and things like that. And um, I do think things like monitoring your sweet sleep quality off your watch and um, your heart rate var variability. I, I know they're not, you know, they, they have some sort of errors within those but I do think they can be quite nice signs to say is my body recovering well if you if that sleep quality is changed is not as good as it usually would or that resting heart rate in the morning is is elevated compared to what you you'd routinely see at that 
can be more of a scientific and for those people who like numbers a way of, of monitoring if they're sort of fatigued and ready to go and you know it's not then just straightforward as saying don't do anything like sit at home protect yourself i do think with stuff we can do so i i say to the runners that i work with is if your body's giving you those warning signs but you still feel like you want to do something how about supplementing that with some cross training so just thinking okay instead of the easy run i'm going to go for an easy swim or an easy cross train or i might even just add in just my weight session um for for this point of the week i think there are ways we can adapt our training to also allow us what what i guess we'd call just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know i have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge this is one email per day for five days learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury the sign up link is in the show notes so fill in your details and i'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow active recovery Hmm. One of the things I like to do with my uh, runners and clients is, you know, based on symptoms, we just modify the plan. Like you might have a training plan in place, but it's just a template. And it's almost on the assumption that everything goes well. That's what we follow. But if things don't go so well and you do feel a bit fatigued or tired or you all of a sudden lack in motivation, then it's worth modifications. And that might be modifying the training session. So you can still run maybe, but you know shorter duration lower intensity maybe you know change things up with some walk runs uh but like you say cross training is well within the realms of like options out there yeah you know i think what you say about plans is a really important one is like we 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 always like to stick to a plan but plans are designed in a perfect world and we don't live in a perfect world so i say to people plans are just rough guidelines that are generally meant to be broken hmm Yep, for sure. And I think the psychological motivation side of things is a good sign as well, particularly if it's a change, like someone, if it's cold, if it's middle of winter and you're not feeling particularly motivated, that might be normal. Like that might, for a runner, for some runners out there, they might not like starting a run, but then they love it once they're out there and moving. But if all of a sudden a run that you're usually quite enthusiastic about is all of a sudden a bit of a, extra kind of resistance mental resistance to get started maybe check with yourself and see if that's a sign maybe check with your your muscle soreness maybe check your previous training to see if maybe you've overstretched a little bit and just keep in mind like you say like sometimes these injuries can surface weeks after you've had a harder training session or you've pushed yourself because some people well most of us would consider like okay if you overtrain, you get injured. But if you overtrain two weeks ago, that's way out of the realms of possibility for something to pop up now. So that's um, a really good insight yeah. to have. I, you know, it's it, I've I've had this number of times. Like uh, I can remember a recent patient that I had who came in and they had some you know pain around an area of of, of, of a bone. It turned out that they had they had developed a, sh- a stress fracture in the foot and. But they couldn't understand why and they were like showing me the Strava and like I've not changed my training and they'd consistently run just like 15 miles a week but then exactly three weeks prior to that there was this spike in training where they had run a 40 mile week which coincided with annual leave from from work they'd gone away on into the hills and just ramped up the, the training and then gone back to their normal after that and it wasn't until a little while later that actually that injury surfaced and you know that was it, it was really nice to actually be able to use their data to, to show them where that all of a sudden that spike had likely come, which would put them into that sort of fatigue state. And um, so it yeah. is important to sort of consider a wider thing of what you've done. Good example. Um, speaking of the, the load versus capacity sort of equation relationship, the load side of things, most runners will know the too much too soon, like the, the weekly mileage, the speed workouts, um, and making sure that the intensity and the duration just doesn't have major spikes. But when we're talking about the load stuff specifically, is there any other components that you think runners may miss? Um, Maybe something that's maybe not in the forefront of their mind that they actually may be overloading themselves without realizing it? Yeah, so I think 
when it comes to the load that's applied to our body, the, what I say to people is like the, the big 90 percenters that are like the obvious ones that we need to get right in the beginning. And then there are like the, the subtle one percenters that add into the equation, but I probably wouldn't worry about uh, as a primary cause. I'd think about them later down the line if everything else was fine. Those big 90 percenters for me are, as you say, things like the training load. So the total volume, the speed that they do. But also adding into that, is that that lifestyle so it's how much have you been on your feet walking all day it's like how much work have you had to then take on in in terms of what you what you've you've done outside of running those are the big real obvious ones that add to that cumulative fatigue so going on a walking holiday and and spending all your time out you know doing big four-hour walks with your dog or being on your feet every single for 12 hours and not having to sit down that for me is adding to that 90 percent as load applied to the body that's resulting in fatigue that I think what we tend to do is compartmentalize as running and life as two separate things when in actual fact they're, they're all part of the same thing. So those are the obvious ones for me um, hitting that load and then it, it moves you more towards those like what are those additional one percenters that can change the load that's applied to, to, to my, my body. And that for me can be things like the terrains that we, we choose to run on. Um, they're going to change the stress that's applied to our body in, in a very subtly different way. I'll give you an example. One patient of mine um, always run on trails because that's where the home is around lots of trails, lots of nice different variable surfaces. And then in the summer, they go away on holiday to a holiday home where they can only run on tarmac. And all of a sudden, they every summer, they tend to go away, do the same training, but on a completely different surface, which is changing the stress that's applied to the body. And then it always coincides with them developing niggles. So, and that's something that they didn't consider really within the load that's applied to the body. It's an easy one to fix. So the way we're doing that is trying to encourage a bit more tarmac running in the yearly routine rather than just the holidays. So it's not as big as a shock. But that's one of those things that can subtly change. The same with things like footwear for me. It's when you go from using one shoe all the time to suddenly changing that shoe. That's, again, one of these small percenters that influences the, the load applied to our body. And, and then, you know, me being me, my bias is always going to revert back to biomechanics as well. And thinking, is that giving me these subtle changes to tissue stress? But it's important for me to emphasize, though, that these are like those small percenters that influence load. I think really what we've got to get right as runners first is think, okay, is there anything whoppingly obvious in my lifestyle or in my training that I've completely just missed or ignored here that's contributed first of all? I think incorporating lifestyle into that 90% is a really good tip for a lot of runners because I can think of a couple that I'm working with at the moment who have had career changes where they've gone from sitting to standing for like manual labor, um, even just standing on your feet for most of the day. And they're still trying to keep up with their weekly mileage. They're still trying to say, I need to get from 30 miles per week to 35 miles per week and like still continue that trajectory. But lifestyle, um, their job description outside of that for eight hours of the day has been so much more than what they were previously doing. And so it's good that that needs to be factored in because I've seen um, runners in particular that have kept kept their training consistent and symptoms pop up or flare-ups happen just because of that change, yeah. um, particularly yeah, structures we, below the knee with, with standing like calf, Achilles, plantar fasciitis, those sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, I think we can also view the reverse as well. Like when people have gone from like solely standing all the time to, to now um, doing increased amounts of sitting, I think that also has a, a huge um, negative impact on the body. I think one of my favorite phrases I use with patients at the moment is sitting is the new smoking. Because um, I actually think if we send, spend so much of our prolonged time, especially now with home working, sat in front of a desk, I actually think it, it, it slowly deconditions muscles as well. So not only do we, can we have like this scenario where we put in too much load on the system during our day-to-day -day working life, we can also have this scenario where we're not putting the same we're not putting enough load on the system and therefore it's slowly getting a little bit weaker and not going to tolerate mm. the running that we do so it's important to just view each end of that spectrum i think 
Yeah. When you're talking about terrain as well, it made me think of, um, I started in the first like two or three years of me being a runner, I moved house and found a nice 5k loop around this river and the bank was just very gently sloped in towards the water and it seemed flat. You look at it and it was, it seemed flat, but within a couple of weeks, I started getting pain on the inside of my right ankle and it was just, once I realized it, it was just that gentle slope was just every single step because I ran in the same uh, anti-clockwise loop every time and I was encountering that same slope every time that I was just um, putting more stress on that part of the ankle compared to the other side. And once I realized it, totally went away once I one day ran clockwise, the other day counterclockwise, and then like alternated that pain just went away without me changing any mileage. And so good example, the terrain has a significant impact. The other one I wanted to raise when you're talking about footwear was um, there's a paper out there where they had um, 14 runners change from a traditional running shoe to giving them like barefoot style shoes. And they gave them the instructions on how to like gradually transition into these minimal shoes and 12 out of the 14 runners got injured (laughs) and they reviewed them at follow-up and, uh, I don't think any of them actually followed the recommended guidelines, which just goes to show what runners do. You know, they get new shoes, they, you know, consider the ways to transition appropriately, then they don't really follow them and then end up with an injury. Yeah. Do you know, changing shoes like that is a, is a, is an interesting one. Like, especially the barefoot one where we talk about transitioning into a barefoot shoe, because some people will sell us this idea that it makes us stronger if we do that. And again, that goes straight back to this whole concept of load capacity, because changing a shoe changes the load that's applied to our body. And in barefoot running or minimalist running, it drastically changes the load applied to the body. So what that can do is really rapidly progresses along this continuum of, of micro damage to macro damage to, to tissue failure. So the only way you can adapt for that if you're making real big changes is you've got to do it slower so you've got to accept that I can't necessarily combine that changing shoe with the same volume I did before. You've got to really like take away from that volume to be able to adapt to it. And the while people would say that, you know, we get stronger feet from barefoot running. Yeah, I, I agree we do. But the process of getting to that point where you can tolerate the stress that you're used to is not straightforward. And you have to take several steps back in order to, to work that way up. So... I think for us as runners, it's really important to first acknowledge that if we're making a big drastic change somewhere, we've got to adapt for that and, and super compensate for that somewhere else in, in what we do, be that our training volume or more recovery in, in some respects. We can't just change something and go back to exactly what we used to do. It, it, the body just doesn't really work like that. Um, so I think that is an important thing for us to, to always bear in mind because we are very quick as people to, to change stuff yet. Yeah be fixated in what we always do from a training perspective in, in, in other ways. Yeah. Especially when those adjustments are so abrupt, like using mm. that example of having those runners wearing traditional shoes to going to, I think it was close to, I think it was, um, some Vibram five finger, like really minimalist, minimalist, um, barefoot style and having something so abrupt, such a, an extreme needs so much time. And, you know, you, you can eventually adapt, but it, like you say, it takes a whole bunch of time. Uh, we'll f- flick the switch from load to capacity. So you're saying that, yes, training loads, speeds, overall volume and lifestyle is like that 90% of what you need to focus on with the 1% as being footwear, terrain, those, those kind of changes that we need to look out for. On the load, uh, on the capacity side of things, what are the influences? What are the the changes that can influence and manipulate our ability to tolerate those loads that some runners might be missing? Yeah. So if we go to capacity, then, and we t- we're talking about this ability to tolerate that stress and strain that's applied to our body. Now, there's a lot of different factors here that can influence that, and what I think is really important. For straight up to get runners to really remember is that 
this these constructs or these factors that influence our capacity to tolerate load will change all the time. So they're never the same every single day that we, we're going in, in, into running. And the simplest example of that is fatigue. So if we are fatigued, we're gonna have a lower capacity for our, our tissues to function, or our muscles to function, and therefore they're gonna be less tolerant to stress. And if you've only slept five hours the night before, you, it's really easy to see how fatigue has, has just changed as you've gone into your next run. So that's one example of how these will always change over time, which is important to be aware of. Now, other things that I think can influence our capacity, the stuff that we as physios would commonly like to try and manipulate with people. So it might be like structural properties of a, of a tissue, of a muscle. And in its simple form, that's why we advocate the use of strength training, because we, we think that if we get stronger muscles, we can make stronger tendons, stronger bones that are all uh, more likely to tolerate um, the, the stress. So I think that is an important one, is that what's actually that tissue-like and that global muscular strength, muscular endurance. And then there are other subtle factors that I think sometimes we can't always account for or we can't always change, but we can account for. And that would be things like age. So if we're an older runner, um, you know, we're not perhaps going to recover as quickly as those young 18-year-old spring chickens. And whereas we can't change age, what we can do are take steps to uh, adapt to that and to accommodate for that, i.e. include strength training to maintain tissue function or acknowledge that I might just need a little bit more recovery from a really intense workout until I'm ready to go again. Um, we can adapt for it. And then, you know, a big one for me is previous injuries. So I always like delve into people's injury histories and medical histories as well to see if there are any factors there that could influence someone's ability to tolerate stress. And I think from a previous injury perspective, often as soon as we get injured, um, we get negative adaptations in terms of our body just doesn't function as well or the tissue doesn't function as well as it used to. And we commonly just wait for symptoms to change and then we'll go back to running because we'll be like, symptoms are calm, I'm going to go straight back to running, I'm fine now. And what often we don't acknowledge or account for is how that can change the function of muscles or the actual stress tolerance of the tissue. And we don't fully restore that. Um, we're very quick to just make a decision off symptoms. So I think for me, when I work with patients, I really like to delve into that history of what have the previous injuries been like and then look at the, the function of different tissues to start thinking, okay, well, have we got a vulnerability here or something that we haven't fully addressed, like an underlying issue that we've not fully ironed out the creases on that's, not, that, that's almost hindering our ability to um, tolerate that stress going, going forward. Um, so there's a lot of factors in there, really, that are intrinsic to us as individuals, but also are, are dynamic and changing that we, we can um, influence, I think, as, as physios in, in the routines that we adopt. Mm. It would be such a, a an easy world if you said, okay, my legs can tolerate, f the, f the capacity of them can be a 50-mile week, and then they'll get stronger, and then next week they can they have the capacity to tolerate a 52 mile week and just work in that equation. But if you're looking at, like you say, capacity is dynamic and that's because lifestyle factors and all those factors that you mentioned in play are so they're constantly fluctuating. Like you have your, your sleep is never consistent. It changes here and there, stress levels, um, your age, obviously. Um, how about what, how would you explain the role of the psychological stuff, the the stress, like when someone's stressed, anxious, worried? Um, people might not consider that as a component within how someone's capacity to tolerate training is actually involved. And is there is there a way you like to explain that to your runners? Yeah, I mean, so from a from a stress perspective, uh, the we know that there's more and more emerging evidence that's linking psychological stresses and even sleep behaviors to injury development. Um, now, the exact 
physiological mechanisms of, of how that happens and how that affects hormones and the body and the tissues is, is way beyond the scope of my brain and, and my profession. But the way I like to try and explain stress um, to people is that, you know, stress can have a influence on whether or not our tissues fully recover, first of all. So therefore, whether or not it's going to tolerate what we do the next day. It's also going to influence my fatigue levels. So when I'm in a run, how much of that run I can keep functioning normal or, you know, function at my, at my best without overstressing um, tissues. So psychological stresses influence how my tissues respond and how um, ready they are to perform and also how I perform within that run. And not only that is I think it's important sometimes to have the, the tough conversation that I have with some of my clients and think that those stresses that we have in our lifestyles, are we, you know, are we using training to, to try and manage that stress in, in, in too much of a negative way, i.e. we train in too hard to really try and burn off some of that stress. So that's a bit of a difficult conversation of asking ourselves like, look, am I changing my behavior in terms of how I have to get this run done today and I have to run this run hard because I'm trying to escape my stress? That's another question that I, I would sort of raise with people that I work with. And then also, I just explained that, you know, um, I think one of the easiest thing for us to, to understand is that, or accept, is that we know stress levels influence hormones in the body and how these hormones in the body are going to influence our recovery and tissues is can be a negative. Um, so it's important for us to not just balance our psychological stresses with our physical activity that we do, but also take steps to, to look after our mental health in, um, in, in ways more broad than just running, i.e. taking time for yourself and doing other activities that are true recovery activities, rather than replacing a psychological stressor with running, which is just a physical stressor. Um, so there's those two ways. There's the, the way of saying like, look, it affects our tissues, but also is it affecting the way that we behave and manage our tissues? And that I think takes us as individuals to have a, a, a look at and probably a serious think about how we are managing our running. Yeah. And a lot of these questions that I'm answering to you, a lot of it's coming back to the topic of recovery, making mm. sure recovery is adequate, making sure that the tissues aren't being, you know, pushed to fatigue too often. Um, and the way when you, when you mentioned the hormones, I was talking to, um, Dr. Izzy Smith uh, a couple of years ago about this. And she was saying that there's, um, you know, your cortisol and noradrenaline are like your exercise hormones or they're your spring into action hormones. And whether when you do have those hormones circulating around the body, it, the, the body really struggles to enter recovery mode. And with that recovery mode, so important to, you know, bounce back after an exercise, if you are stressed anxious, worried, fearful, like those same hormones circulate the body. The body kind of thinks it's in exercise mode already for action all the time and just doesn't get that recovery mode that it needs. And so someone goes for a run and then goes to work and there's a high stress environment. They go home, family dramas, high stress. It's constantly the body's craving this recovery mode and you're just not getting it. And if that stress is leading into poor sleep and then the next day another run it's just like the body's just getting overloaded with this physical and psychological stress which eventually just you know pours out into an injury and when you're talking about the relationship of stress hormones but then the importance of recovery it's like it all ties into the lifestyle of a runner and like making these sort of sensible decisions understanding this concept to make the the important decisions to reduce your risk of injury yeah, you know, I think more and more, like, f for me, when it's all about how do we manage injury as a whole, um, I actually think it comes back to this concept of just having a balanced lifestyle com as, uh, holistically. I just think that, you know, if things aren't balanced in terms of your home life, your work life, and your training life, um, and your extracurriculum activity life, I think that's when problems start to, to, to happen. Um you know, so it's about trying to keep our whole environment in 
a level state of homeostasis where everything is equally balanced and is nicely in order. And if you push one element of anything in your life, know that it's going to have a knock-on effect on another part. So I like to, to sort of keep things balanced and only push one thing at a time, really, if you to, to keep yourself mentally and physically uh, fit. Yeah. If, if the listeners are... If they've listened to my conversation with Eric Hegedus, I had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago um, for the second time, and he mentioned that they're doing some research. He's got a little bit of an inkling around four key areas that if you're rating poor on all four of those areas, then the likelihood of a injury happening is very, very high. And he mentioned just muscle soreness, generic muscle soreness. He mentioned fatigue. He mentioned sleep. And he mentioned stress. And so those four domains, if you're ranking poorly in all of those four domains at once, like the, the likelihood just goes through the roof of an injury coming unless you, you really like address it, have some interventions to follow that up. And what you're talking about, just that lifestyle is if it's muscle soreness, fatigue, you know, that can mainly be uh, around your training, but sleep and stress, that's more about like, more, I guess, the overall lifestyle, but you're looking at objective markers, but you're also looking at subjective markers, listening to your body when it comes to the stress and the sleep side of things, the fatigue side of things. Um, so it's all kind of interplaying. And, you know, the more people I talk to, the more this all kind of the, the whole generic concept of the runner as a whole starts mm. to make a whole a yeah. lot more sense. It's interesting that you say that because like over the years when, um, We've worked with various athletes on various different altitude camps. One of the things we'd always do is um, uh, what we call morning monitoring, where athletes would come in, they'd like write on a score sheet of where they score in those different domains. And you would gradually see over time that the areas of like self-reported muscle soreness or fatigue or sleep quality, if those started to gradually change or gradually worsen, you would start to see a higher uh, frequency of those athletes coming into the physio room and starting to report little niggles. And it was always just like this progression from green light go to, oh, we're getting some warning signs here. And then before you know it, this could snowball out of control and then you're full on having to manage an injury. So very, very simple monitoring things like that, I I think are are fantastic because they do seem to hold true in terms of injury development. I'd definitely like to see some more of the research really affirm that, but we'll see. Yeah, it's so hard for a runner when things are feeling good, when they're not injured, but they're not sleeping that great to just keep running, to just keep training the way they would. And then if like their stress becomes a little bit higher or not as well managed as before, it's so easy just to keep your, your running because even if you are stressed, if you've got like these work dramas and these family dramas, um, you know, you use running as an escape sometimes. And it's such a, it's so hard for the runner to have the control and discipline to say, I'm not ranking well in these domains, even though I'm feeling totally fine. Let me make the right training decisions uh, and be a bit more sensible. It's very, very hard to see unless someone's made that mistake time and time again. And they've said, I recognize this pattern here. Let's, you know, dial the intensity back and make the sensible adjustments it's very rare to see yeah i always think those some of you know when you watch some of the best athletes in the world what i think they get really good at doing is identifying how far they they can push themselves before they start to tip that red line into that injury domain and they're very good at noticing those subtle warning signs and i think that's perhaps what makes them so elite is because they are so in tune with it they know how hard they can push on that day Um, whereas some of us might not and that's when we get injured and we just don't get the consistency in training so it is about learning when it's about to when the warning signs are there well said chris as we're wrapping up is there any final comments any final takeaways the runners who are looking to reduce their risk of injury um any any final words that they'll need to hear that we haven't already discussed yeah i mean final words or final tips i'd probably just put that right down into just reminding people and remembering of what I say to most people is my three key domains of how to stay injury free. And first of all, it's number one, train smart. 
listen to your body, learn when you need to adapt to that plan. And number two is recover. Look after yourself, accept that recovery is a holistic concept, not just away from running or time away from running, it's time away from stress too. And then finally would be make sure you try to actively build a robust system and to, to develop this load capacity, i.e. use cross training, use strength training to do that. And those would be my three key takeaway summary tips I'd probably want people to take from this. Yeah, and I think that tip three to be robust is kind of that tip that you said at the start, not to shy away from fatigue, not to shy away from those gray zones because that develops, that you know builds upon your athletic development in a lot of different ways. And so very good final tips there. And um, I've got um, your Twitter. I've got any other links that you want me to include in the show notes for listeners if they want to learn more about you or more about running? Um I guess like, you know, if people wanted to ever ask questions or get in touch, um, I can be intermittently active on social media. Twitter is probably the one I use the most uh, with my Twitter handle at Chris Brammer. Um, alternatively, you know, um, you can contact me via our, our company, which is uh, extramilehealth.com. Um, that tends to be where we'll, we'll pick up emails and, and try and help you out in any way that we can. So I'm always love to chat all things sports science running and, and injuries that's my world <laughs> i can tell <laughs> and it's always um always good to have you on i think i can chat about these sort of topics all day and like i say it's you're absolute world class and you're you're changing the world with all the stuff that you're doing all the research and publications that are out there and you're helping a lot of runners so Thank thanks for much. coming on taking some time and educating some runners no thanks a lot for having me And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.